With 6,600 officers worldwide, HSBC have four times as many employees as the entire population of Andorra. Yet their global head of marketing is quite wary of big data. I am that sort of person who, when someone says the word big data, I start to sort of try and hide under the desk because I usually think I'm going to get rather cross with it. Instead, Chris Clark views his role slightly differently, believing data should guide the voice of the customer. CMOs have become a bit of a conscience for the customer, the power of what CMOs need to understand. They sort of have a smart bomb that they can always use and sort of go into the room with, which is, you know, we understand the customer, we understand their buying behaviours, we understand their preferences, we understand what brands they love. It wasn't always this way, though. The data revolution has seen the role of the CMO change a lot. Tom Litton Dickey sat down with Chris Clark to discuss the importance of a return to marketing essentials. So his first question, really, then, is, is how do you view the role of the CMO in today's business world? I think one of the things that's happened in both my career and HSBC is that CMOs have become a bit of a conscience for the customer in businesses because I think what we can all do is get seduced by anything from technology to sort of emerging markets to lots of stories that forget the customer and I think we've probably seen the marketing department at HSBC evolve into something that is almost a kind of representation of the customer at the right moments for the business and I think that's the power of what CMOs need to understand they sort of have a smart bomb they can always use and sort of go into the room with, which is, you know, we understand the customer, we understand their buying behaviours, we understand their preferences, we understand what brands they love. And I think that, for me, is the kind of key thing that's changed. But also, it isn't just about, you know, understanding the customer. I think you've also got to be, as best as you can, stay abreast of all of the massive changes that are happening to the world of media, fragmentation. I think in my dinosauric kind of way, many years ago it was, well, we did a telly ad and we did a print ad and we did a poster and we bought some media and we all went probably down the pub, I should think, afterwards. But that's kind of broadly what we did. And these days it's much more complex. It's much more interesting, though. Hmm. Sure. So your, your previous role at HSBC, I think, had a big customer experience focus. So what, what does customer experience mean to HSBC and how much of a factor was that in you taking a more overarching role? What's happened over a period of time is we've had a bunch of trusted guys who've sort of essentially stewarded the business through a lot of change, both in its markets, its marketing, and its distribution. Um, it's, you know, you have to be living under a rock to not know how much banking has had to adapt and change to the fact that I want to be able to pay my gas bill on the bus. And why shouldn't you? And you should be able to do it with a touch of a finger and not actually sit there and spend hours and hours going through all sorts of various complex kind of, you know, interactions to let you anywhere near your bank account. And I think those kinds of things have meant that understanding the customer and understanding what they're doing and then understanding how to build experiences around that that start with the customer. I think one of the things that's most important, I sort of suppose I subscribe to Henry Ford's old thing where you sort of can't ask customers what they want, they'll sort of tell you a faster horse. Um, But you can show them some things they could do and then you can sit back and figure out whether or not that works. And I think for HSBC we've had some fantastic opportunities to learn about how customers are changing and the kinds of ways in which service can improve and I wouldn't say you know that banks get it brilliantly right but we've got businesses like First Direct who are a very interesting customer centric culture and it's often trying to learn from guys like that and figuring out you know what customers really want to do and how they want to use their various tools we had a wonderful discussion the other day, which you know was between us and some of my design guys, because we look after all of our user interfaces in the marketing function. That's what we do. Yeah. 
and sort of, you know, actually, I watched my kids, obviously, you know, 17 and 15, good old sort of, you know, users of all things electronic. And actually, they don't actually type anything. It's all how you swipe things with your fingers. And we all had a bit of a giggle at Minority Report and Tom Cruise and all these bits and bobs. But actually, we're not far away. Um, may not be quite, you know, projected screens of kind of, you know, sort of 3D kind of things on the sort of, you know, in the ether. But, you know, it is all about how do you design UIs that respond to that or that or that because actually at the end of the day you've now got to think about that because that's the difference again you can't go because that's not what people want to do sure so I suppose how have apps like Uber and others which have simplified the use of technology affected banks I think it's all about understanding what people's experiences are of using things like digital services and I don't think what you can do is necessarily just be the kind of person who is slightly better than the rest of the players in your cu your category. Mm. I think customers expect a lot of kind of interesting kind of ways in which you can help them and use things because that's what they sort of expect their service businesses to do. We've had a very interesting kind of set of work we've done around text messaging to customers in the UK for overdrafts. And what we now do is instead of you know giving someone some horrid letter, we send you a text. Mm. The, day, the moment you go overdrawn and we give you an X number of hours to put it right. And actually, that's what people expect you to do. And why wouldn't you? And it's the right thing to do. And so all of those things are around understanding the simplest of technologies like text messaging. And I think you know it's one of those funny things, I suppose, the nasty world of fraud and all that sort of stuff has meant that anything we send to anyone in an email probably goes straight in the sort of spam folder anyway. So understanding ways in which they would want us to communicate with them and understand ways in which that's trusted is important. So I think what we've seen is lots of learnings from other categories. And what we try and do is understand what implications that has for the way we build our UIs, for the way we look at how apps work, for the way we look at how social media kind of works. I think, you know, we've had a very active social media presence as an organization now and you know it's proven very effective in sort of helping customers kind of you know work with us and get what, done what they need and it's not just in personal banking um, we have an exceptionally live kind of network of business to business stuff in social media and I think I sort of don't hear much I'm sure there's stuff out there I don't hear much around how social media and b2b are coming together but they are and we have a network of you know, business people, uh, which is the China Business Network, which is all about doing business in China for anybody around the world. There's information on there. There's kind of seminars. There's Google Hangouts that are run through it. It's quite powerful stuff. Mm. And I think B2B marketing, which is a sort of, you know, always seen as some sort of poor sort of relation to customer marketing, consumer marketing, is one of those sort of areas where there are some amazing things going on now. And I think, you know, LinkedIn is obviously a <coughs> great tool sure. for us in that space. But it's more than that. It's about creating events, communities. Mm. Um, you've got to execute well. It's the old content argument. So, yeah. And just going back to the customer experience point, how do you use data to genuinely improve your customer experience? I think what you've got to do is start to understand, firstly, customers' expectation to some degree. I remember a thousand years ago when I first started, we did some work on what was acceptable about you know, queuing in branches. And I know that in Asia, people were prepared to queue for much longer than they were in the UK and all that kind of stuff. And I think what we've got to do is start to understand sort of, you know, the, how to measure sort of our customers in the right kind of way um, and how to understand sort of, you know, the genuine sort of wheat from the chaff in data. The problem is you just drown in data these days. Um, people will tell you by the minute, by the second, who's doing what, when and how. 
but how do you really look at all of that stuff and make a bit of sense of it? For us, it's big old fundamentals that sit at the back of it. How many complaints do we deal with and how many do we deal with effectively? What kinds of um, you know, positive user interfaces do we build that allows customers with a single click to get a personal loan that allows them to extend the sort of you know, payment period for something or you know, to pay their electric bill? And how do we start to understand what is essentially, and it's again, it's a, you know, it's a live project. We started it a couple of months ago. What are the behaviors of loyal and sort of advocating customers? What's the kind of stuff they do? What patterns do you see in that sort of wonderful world where market research tells you that you know, your net promoter score is X? Oh, great, that's fab. But actually, how did we get there? And what are the other things that we're going to have to do to make sure we stay there or improve, whichever the case may be? And I think those are the sorts of things that we're now sort of struggling with. So we've got, you know, the classical kind of offline juggernaut sort of, you know, survey stuff. And then you've got the, I can tell you, every second of it, every day what's going on with this. Well, how do I kind of we get that out from the kind of other stuff? Mm-hmm. And so for us, the conundrum is looking at behavior and trying to link that behavior back to levels of customer satisfaction, the customer experience, what went right, what went wrong, and not do it just on a case-by-case basis. And then, obviously, the worst thing in the world is always the sample of one where, you know, someone will come in and say, well, my uncle was trying to do this at the weekend. Yeah, 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 kind of, you know. Yeah. And so you've got to be a bit careful. Yeah. In an era where, where data and, and analytics have become so prevalent in marketing, how do today's CMOs, who perhaps haven't developed their skill sets over the course of their career, stay relevant? I think what you've got to do with sort of this whole idea of data, and I must admit I am, probably because of my age maybe, but I don't know, I am that sort of person who when someone says the word big data and I start to sort of try and hide under the desk because I usually think I'm going to get rather cross with a bunch of slightly flannelly things here. Um, But actually genuinely understanding what you can use that's information that's related to your business and your business's performance and your customer and the actions and activities they undertake. And don't just look at everything you could possibly know. And we have all what I call, you know, I get decks of stuff that I call strokey bit stuff, which is hmm, interesting. And now are we actually going to do anything with that? Nope. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. I'm glad you spent two weeks figuring all that stuff out because we can't do anything with it. Mm. So the other part of this is action. What actions do you expect to take? And we kind of ter- we sort of tend to look at some aspects in our digital world in three chunks, I suppose. We've got what we call the journey to choose. So a customer wants to choose a product. It could be a business business. It could be kind of you know a customer in the retail bank. But basically, you know, they're going to go on this journey. And you know, with your audience, and I'm sure you would agree that almost no one does anything without checking it out online first. So you say to yourself, you know, I'll get up in the morning and I need a life insurance because I'm going to have a new baby or what I'm going to do. You do think to yourself, actually, you know what? I'm actually going to start online because everyone does, and that's sort of absolutely the case. So the journey to choose begins around that point, and often you will have had a brand that you trust or a brand you know or a brand you have some kind of idea about, maybe based on a whole lot of history and legacy. But you start that journey to choose, and that has to be a positive experience. And then you have the journey to buy. And that's when you get a second set of information where you're normally in there, you're using mortgage calculators or whatever else you're doing. You're looking at lots of different ways in which you could sort of choose a product. You might use it in the UK money supermarket or whatever else to get you down to sort of, you know, my absolute journey to buy. You know, I'm going to figure this stuff out. I'm going to buy it. 
And then I've got my journey to use, which says I'm going to log in every day, I'm going to move money from one account to another. And I think what we try and do is look at those three, not with big iron kind of railings between them, but try and say to ourselves, let's be with our customer, let's put ourselves in their shoes as they go through these things. And then what's the data that we've got that's helping us understand this? You know, telling me you got 8 million impressions doesn't actually help. Telling me how many customers clicked on the banner and went to the mortgage calculator and how much time they spent in the mortgage calculator, and if we offered them the option to save the calculations, what happened next? That's stuff I can now play with. I can do some stuff. For me, often, the marketing metrics that sit out there, a bit like my old reach and frequency numbers from classical media, not so useful, really. Is 8 million good or bad? I don't know. Because you know, I know, for instance, in our B2B world, 10,000 is pretty good as long as they're very well qualified. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. 8 million sounds like a lot. But is it a waste of money? No idea. Chris, thank you for your time. That was great. You've been listening to the Hot Topics podcast. For more content, including live events and videos, visit hottopics.ht.